Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome. Glad to have you with us again this week. We appreciate it so much. And hopefully you're getting a great blessing from these podcasts each week featuring teachings from Warren Litzman. We are still in Warren's study of the cross. It's fascinating, and it is so important, and the response has been tremendous. We really appreciate what all you guys are saying about it. We're going into part 15 this week, so let's get started. Here's Warren and the cross. Whose sacrifice is it? Whose sacrifice is that? Now, for the last 4,000 years, going all the way back to Cain and Abel, sacrifices had been offered. All of these sacrifices came out of self-interest. They had failed God. They needed to do something about it, so they killed an innocent animal and offered the sacrifice. They got in trouble with their lives and offered a sacrifice. Who sacrifices this on the cross? Well, partly it's mine, partly it's yours, partly it's the world's, but primarily it's the Father's. What is the sacrifice to the Father? The sacrifice, the death of Jesus Christ for the world is a sacrifice for the Father who wants to do something whose nature won't allow him to do it unless he pays the price. God is love. And God the Son is that intricate part of God, the Godhead, that loves God so much. Loves God. So it's the Father's sacrifice because there's something He wants to do. Well, your first thought is He's God. He can do anything He wants to. No. Haven't you found that out? He may want to help you out of all your troubles, but He can't. He can do anything He wants to. All things are possible with God, but not all things are probable. Why? Because he goes by a certain code. He goes by a certain honor. He doesn't do things just because he's God. He did that for 1,700 years with Israel, sent his son to this earth, and they killed him. He'll not do it like that again. He doesn't do it like that for us in grace. The kingdom message was still like for God to do all these things, open up the Red Sea and rain food down for 40 years in the wilderness and destroy the walls of Jericho and all that he did. He doesn't do that anymore. He did that thing before, but he didn't get what he needed. And when they killed his son, that sacrifice was his to give him the liberty to do what a father wants to do. For a father cannot be a father till he births a child. 
So he begins. He begins by putting his first seed in little Mary of Nazareth. At the cross, he's given the final liberty to carry through and put that seed in every believing sinner. So at the cross, he takes out the old life. And at the cross, by the sacrifice, he gets the right. Not a right that violates his knowledge or his deity. He's love. He should love regardless. But the death of part of himself gave him the right to be able to do what it was that needed to be done for himself. Why is that important? Because down through the ages, every time God has heard anybody say, Lord, save me. Didn't matter who they were, where they were, and it didn't even matter what their future might be, for God might have known they would be rebellious, backslidden, and whatever. But the moment they said, Lord, save me, the account was already taken care of. That's what Jesus did for the Father. He fixed it so that the Father could save as many as call on the name of the Lord. Now, if that hadn't have been done, God would have been a religionist. He would have said, now, I've got a little plan here. Here's a catechism. Here's a, here's a bunch of classes you need to attend. Here's what you need to do to be in my kingdom. Isn't it funny how God saves people on the basis of what Jesus did and nothing else? The church, you can't get into a church without going through all sorts of paraphernalia. But you can get into heaven by simply believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why it's hard to get into churches? It's because they paid no price. <laughs> To get you. No price has been paid for you by man. That's why many men mistreat people. They didn't pay anything for you. I hear it everywhere I go of how believers are mistreated today in different groups, different organizations. They paid nothing for you. You're going to get into heaven a whole lot easier than you can get into a church building somewhere. And you're going to get into heaven a whole lot easier than you can get out of some church buildings. Yeah. <laughs> Freedom. That's what ought to be written over Calvary in big letters, freedom. Freedom. God is free. He's not bound by Moses' law. He's not bound by circumstances and situations. He's not bound by the devil. The death of Jesus Christ has brought an ultimate freedom. 
He's free. He's free to say whoever he wants to. He'll save a dying thief the last minute. He'll save a boy on a battlefield the last minute. He'll save a drunkard, a harlot, a drug addict by simply believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Will he change their life? Yes. If they love him, their life will change. But he will save them on the basis of that cross. Don't ever forget it. Freedom. Humanity is free. We're a bunch of dumb idiots running around with a yoke of bondage on us everywhere we go. But Calvary shouts, you're free. You're free. The alcoholic says there's no hope. He's free. The drug addict is free. The homosexual is free. The church member that doesn't know Christ is free. They don't need the bondage of religion. We don't need any more bondage. We're free. God became free at the cross. We went through the scripture that said at the cross, Moses' law and commandment were dissolved. He's free. God is free of Moses' law. Now don't mistake me, there's good in Moses' law. If everybody with head knowledge believed Moses' law, it would be a little better world, but it wouldn't be a saved world. Because law doesn't save you. How are we saved then? We're saved by the death of another. We're free. God is free to save whoever he wants to save. You ought to be careful getting hooked up with people who don't believe God saves. There's a lot of those people. The Roman church doesn't depend on Jesus to save because they plainly save the church saves. Be faithful to the church. You'll be saved. How many others do the same thing? We must shout it that Calvary freed God to save everybody and he saves them the same. What do you mean he saves them the same? Everything that was in their old Adamic life was crucified at the cross so that Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It was all crucified at the cross. There wasn't anything left over. It was all done. So God is now free. That freedom reaches a depth that it's hard for us to comprehend. The greatest freedom God has is in the in Christ position. Let's look at it like this without the in Christ position. The gospel is preached today 
that if you simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's good, isn't it? But they don't go any further. And so religion takes over at that point and says, well, now we know how it is to keep you saved. We know how it is you ought to live. And to be one of us, you have to do it like this. Or we'll put you out. Now, God, give him the credit of being smart. He said, if my son's going to die on this tree and give me the liberty to set humanity free, I'm not going to just take away their sin. I'm going to take away their old life. Lock, stock, and barrel. Everything Adam was, from his disobedience to his place in the world, I'm going to crucify that with Jesus on the cross. And everybody that accepts that, then I'm going to do something I've never been free to do. I'm going to take the spirit of my son, Jesus, and I'm going to put it in that believing sinner. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And then God said, I'll never depend on that human again. I'll depend on the Christ that is in them. So that Paul could shout, Christ in you is your hope. Not your good works. Not your righteousness. You have no righteousness. Not that you're holy. He's the holy one. Christ in you is your hope. You see it? He was free to put another life in the same old human body. With the same old mind. He didn't change the body. He didn't change the mind. He just put a new life there. And he said, if you have a great enough love affair, you'll change your mind. What is Christianity? It's a growth in your knowledge and understanding. It isn't Christ. Getting, you're not getting more Christ. In these meetings, you're not getting more Christ. You got him already. You got him in total. What the Bible and these meetings are for is to change your mind from the old way of thinking to the new way that I have a life in me that God is depending on. Why don't I depend on it? You understand that? He was free to take the same old human he had created and put another life in him. See, all that's going on, I believe, as God watches Calvary, as he looks down upon it. He's free now to put Christ in humans and give humans a chance to live right, happy, joyful, because Christ is their life. Paul says, the life I now live is Christ. I no longer live. Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. You see, that's the ultimate. He came to a place where it was the same old body, 
But a change of mind had happened. He knew that old Adam life had passed out at the cross. Remember our original text. In Adam, we were living souls, but in Christ, we were quickening spirits. Adam's dead. He's gone. He died at the cross. So now God has a right to put Jesus in every one of us. Christ in us. You see that? Oh, you got to get a hold of that. The message of Christ in us is not something I came up with. Not when Paul said it 146 times in his epistles. Be foolish for me to come along and say, boy, I come up with something new y'all need. Preaching this word. Calvary released God to take Christ, his spirit, and join it to our spirit and call it us. So that when Paul finally got the gist of this whole message, he changed the name of the followers of Christ and called us Christians, a Christ I ammer, Christians. That's what a Christian is. Be good if all Christians knew that and lived that, wouldn't it? Christ lives in me. That's what God had the right to do. He had the right to birth his own son in you. Peter could come along later and say, being born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of the uncorrupt, incorruptible seed. Incorruptible seed. Something I have to talk about. Some of you got a hold of a tape we have called The Dark Side of God. I wish I could rename that. That caused me as much trouble as it has good. <laughs> but there is a side of God where he was hurt. I don't know exactly how it was, but there's a side of God where he was hurt. It's a dark side we never talk about because we have the idea that God is so great, big, good, he can do anything. I speculate that when Lucifer misused his power and authority and broke his allegiance to God and did his own thing, does that hurt God? Because the Bible says that God had given him all power and authority. He could run the whole heavenly host. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe there were aeons before and other worlds where God had this problem. But there's a side of God where he was hurt. Nobody ever discovered this fully till the Apostle Paul received the final gospel. For instance, there are five lists that Paul gives us, lists where he was fought, knocked down, knocked out, forsaken. You remember all these lists. I call them the five awful lists. Boy, that doesn't sound Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, does it? There, everybody had a problem. Jesus just come along and took it away. 
But now with Christ living in you, you come into the family and you're going to know something deep about God. You're going to know that God was either hurt or something happened to him that made him willing to kill his own son to get what he wanted. What happens at Calvary? There's a healing. Or let's go to Adam and Eve. The only two persons that God ever gave on this earth total liberty. In fact, the total liberty he had given Lucifer in the heavens, he now gave to a man and a woman on this earth. He told them to rule and reign over this earth. They could, they were in charge of everything on this earth. God gave him that authority. He gave him the word to live by. He came and talked to him every day in the garden. He gave Adam the word to live by. And Adam didn't appreciate it, didn't want it. And when Lucifer had one little word with him, Adam believed that instead of God. Was God hurt? Did he really believe Adam would stand? I don't know. He knows all things. Maybe he knew that. But I could go through history and show you the times that God had invested everything he was doing into a person or persons. And they miserably failed. The second time God gave a man and his family, eight people, a chance to start a new world. Noah. Did he do it? Oh, I went out and got drunk. And God had to deal with him otherwise. Or Abraham. Oh, how he trusted Abraham. Because he was going to make a chosen nation. And he needed an Isaac. Oh, how he needed an Isaac. Somebody upon which he could start this whole new nation to prove the fact. Would these people trust him? Would they live for him? So he was now bringing about a chosen people. He's not going to deal with any rest of the world. He's going to deal only with the offsprings of Isaac. And finally, Jacob. Well, you know what? Abraham didn't see that, didn't have feeling for that. At a hundred years old, he decided, I'm pretty old, I can't have a kid. I don't know why God told me I was going to have an offspring. So he and Sarah plotted together that he would take his maid, her maid, Hagar, and have an affair with her and birth a child. And the whole plan fell short temporarily. Couldn't trust him. That was a big problem. Somebody said to me one time, said, well, that wasn't a big problem. God straightened it all out. He did anything but straighten it out because I'll tell you what little prophetic word I'll give you that toward the end, the biggest problem this world's going to have is with Ishmael. And you're already feeling it, are you not? I could go on and on. Just one after another failed and, and they fall short. So the cross was important to God in this regard. Up until that time, men had failed him and it hurt. 
But with the cross, he's going to put the one man that never failed him inside the human being. That's going to be different. The cross gives him the liberty to do that. It's going to be Christ in us. It's like God said, I'm so sick and tired of putting up with humanity that doesn't love me. I'm going to put the one that does love me in every creature that believes, and I'm going to trust that love because it won't fail me. Oh, Christians here today, you don't know what your stand is in God too much. Too often you don't know it at all. You stand before God even when you miserably fail by Jesus Christ. Even when you have an ounce of love in you, Christ in you loves the Father. And when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you first. He sees Christ. He had the liberty to do that. So the cross is a healing, so to speak, for God. It's a healing. He's not going to create robots. You're free moral agents. You have to believe. You have to want to be saved. He's not going to make you get saved. He's not going to create robots, but he is going to fix you so that you have another life in you. And if you yield to that life, you're pleasing to God. If you don't yield to that life, you're a fool. So you're going to live on your own wayward way with hopeless situations. That's where most Christians are. What are most Christians doing nowadays? They're trying to find alleviation. They want a meeting and a preacher somewhere that's going to get rid of their troubles. Have no concept that we have another person living in us. That it's that part of God that loves God more than anything else. We have no concept of that. One more point. You probably better mark this scripture. Genesis 3 and 15. Here's a God, prophetically speaking. But there's also a wee bit of anger in this. Genesis 3 and 15, I put enmity between thee and the woman. Who is he talking to? Satan. And between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise your head, devil. Now, I mentioned this before, but this verse, you need to mark it good. Why did he say head? Because what Calvary did, Jesus kicked the devil in the head by destroying the knowledge of good and evil. A head thing. You get it? He'll destroy the devil at the end of the tribulation period. But right now, the devil's kicked in the head and the knowledge of good and evil... 
doesn't work with God. The cross changed that. As it was, the death of Jesus Christ kicked the devil in the head. The old knowledge of good and evil stopped. To God, it doesn't exist. To us, it's a part of the Adamic race. Do good, don't do evil. That's the last thing God wants. That's out at the cross. He doesn't want you to do good. He doesn't want you to stop doing evil. He wants you to be the Christ that's in you. See, that's a whole different gospel. For you and I, the final attack on the devil was prophesied in Genesis 3 and 15. Lay hold of it. Believe it. It's important. What did God see at the cross? He saw Jesus kicking the devil in the head. Why? Men will not be saved as they were in the kingdom by doing good and not doing evil. That's in the Ten Commandments. They will be saved now by a whole new and different knowledge. They'll be saved by the life of another. Saved by the life of another. Think about the great relief God had. He now is going to have a family. They're going to have the family spirit. Whether they want it or not, if they got saved, they got Christ in them. If they never learn about Christ in them, he's still in them. The Father can depend on it. How can the Father depend on you, even if you've no intention of doing what is right? How can you do that? How can God save somebody just by saying, Lord, I believe? Because they were sincere and honest? Nope. He'll save them because of that cross, what Jesus did. See how simple it is? That's how he'll save them. Saved by the life of another and kept saved by the life of another. There's a whole lot more to say about the Father. But this ought to open up to you a little bit. He heard the words that came from the cross. He heard Jesus say, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Only time Jesus ever called him God. He thought he was really forsaken. He thought God didn't care. But he cared more than you could imagine. For the simple fact is he would never put his son to the ordeal of the cross if it were not done perfectly right. So he could not relieve 
He could not help. He couldn't even put water on the tip of his tongue. He could do nothing but wait until the price is paid. And Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. It hurt, but he paid it all. And you're different now. You're a whole different person now. Your growth ought not to be trying to straighten out your old life. It's killed at the cross. Your growth now ought to be in the new life in Christ. Don't come and tell me that you've always been like this and you just have to pray for me. I'll not do it. Because what you've always been has changed. What you've always been is not the real you. What you've always been is in your head. And you need to change your mind about who you are. You need to change your mind. That's what he'll not do for you. So when the Apostle Paul writes his epistles, you'll discover something very important. He deals mostly with the mind. But you have the mind of Christ available, he says. Have this mind in you that Christ hath. Be not taken up with the world, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He's a great psychologist, the greatest that ever lived, in that he knows what a human being is now by the cross. He knows what a human being is. Jesus gave him that information. So we have the final gospel. Read it and study it until you really get a hold of it. Amen? Well, our time has run out for today, but don't worry. We're going to pick up right here where we left off next week, this fascinating study on the cross with Warren Litzman. Now, let me invite you to go to our website, christ-life.org, christ-life.org. Read all about us. Read all about the In Christ message, and be sure and go to our bookstore. There you'll find a lot of this wonderful material that Warren left behind that you can get for your own home. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And the program is produced weekly by the wonderful Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.